afternoon briefly on the phone and, and just talking about how awesome it is to be a part of a congregation that, that really on Christmas morning, uh, the attendance is what it always is. Uh, and, and that says a lot about the faithfulness of the congregation to worship God. And you being here tonight says a lot about your faithfulness and your dedication to God. I love coming together and singing songs together as we have just done. And Sunday night worship services are my favorite worship services by far. Uh, I just, there's something about them. And ones like tonight are so special and it's so wonderful to be a part of them. God's blessed us richly with opportunity to be around believers in the common cause, common faith. But you know, it's not easy to maintain unity. Why is it? Well, we could talk for days about why is it hard to maintain it, but we do know this, it's not something new. As a matter of fact, the first family that we read about in the Scriptures, we read about... a brother Cain and Abel, and we see them offering their offering to God, and they did it in such a different fashion, and Cain wasn't accepted, and he He's not easy. Part of the Old Testament, and we've been reading about the kingdom of God, and then all of a sudden we read on and we find out that there's a divided kingdom. They couldn't stay united. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Then we go through that 400 years of silence and we open up our New Testament and what do we find out? That the Jews couldn't remain united. Instead, they'd broken up, some have said, maybe as many as 70 different sects. In other words, they had different opinions about different things and they couldn't call themselves of one unit any longer. And some says, well, I'm... And Jesus came along, and he really couldn't relate to any of them. And in a sense, he became an enemy of most of them. And then we read, once the church began, and And then we read passages like we studied recently in a series on Sunday morning of the book of Galatians where it seemed that they were united and it seemed that things were going well but false teachers came in and some started believing the false teachers and apparently others were, were trying to stay with Christ and there was a division taking place because of the false teachers. You see, the point is this. You and I are to strive and we're to maintain and to build unity at every effort that we can. But we just have to know that it is a blessing when we obtain it, but yet it will always be a challenge that's worth meeting. It's the 14th chapter. We read of a time that unity was being questioned. The idea in Romans, the 14th chapter, which, by the way, a sister passage is 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and we'll address that sister passage in just a moment to try to see some of the same principles. But what do we do when the divide is not over something doctrinal? And we know if it's over something doctrinal, we stay with Christ. Now, that sounds simple, but yet many struggle with that. But tonight, we'll take that at face value, and we'll simply say that, that if there is a divide and, and there is someone leaving Christ, for example, Galatians, the study in Galatians, we stay with Christ. We have the one mind of Christ. 
But what about the times when it's things that is matters of opinion? What about the times where it may be that someone is not exactly lining up with the truth, but yet what they're not lining up with is not a violation of the truth? What do we do in those cases? Those times where so much might fall under personal opinion. Well, tonight I offered you a study that's not simple. It's not really an easy study. But it's a study that we all need to make. It's a study through Romans, the 14th chapter. And recently, as we went through the book of Galatians, this was one of the passages that I want us to take time and come back and study sometime. And so let's see what we can address in the next few minutes. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the 14th chapter. And, and I know it's a little bit of a lengthy study. That's why I hope you have your Bible open. And if you will, really pay attention. Don't get lost in the long reading here. And let's read at least 12 verses together here. And really pay attention to what he's saying here because this is the heart of, of what would answer the question if we say, God, how do you want us to maintain unity in, in matters of opinion and, and matters that are not doctrinal? Here's what he would say. We're in Romans, the 14th chapter. He'd say in verse 1, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now let's pause here and make sure that we're all on the same page because then we can better understand the rest of the reading. In other words, there were some weak brothers. We assumed that they were new converts, but whatever the case, they were the weaker brethren. And those weaker brethren were going back and they were either picking up dietary laws out of the Old Testament, which we no longer live under, under the New Covenant, or they were going back and just picking up practices of paganism or, or even of their culture to say, we don't eat any meats. Now, some have said the meats that they said they wouldn't eat here were only the pork, like the dietary laws of the Old Testament, which would be no shrimp, no pork, and things like that. Others have said it's no meats whatsoever. That's not really what's important to this study. What is important is the fact that they, the younger, weaker brethren, believed that they themselves should not eat this meat, for in so doing they would sin against God. Those that were faithful Christians understood that God didn't mind if they ate meat. Well, apparently there were some of the stronger Christians that were saying, listen, if you're going to have such misunderstanding of the Scriptures, we're not going to have anything to do with you. Now, they did misunderstand the Scriptures, didn't they? They did. So if someone misunderstands the Scriptures, is the right reaction to immediately just cut them off? I'm sorry, I can't have anything to do with you. You don't understand the truth. And now notice what we see in this chapter is that they were not applying this to anyone else. This was something the weaker brother was applying to their own lives. And we're going to see that that makes a huge difference. Now, we're going to pick back up and read the rest of this text in a minute, but let me say this to maybe make it clear in our minds. Someone would say, well, that sounds just like the study of Galatians. No, 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 no. The study in Galatians was that they were taking circumcision and they were binding it as law to the church. You remember in Galatians, the fifth chapter, he said circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Lord doesn't mind if one is circumcised or not circumcised. What he minds is when we take it and apply it as law to the church. So here we're reading a passage in Romans, the 14th chapter, where some believe that it wasn't right for them to eat meat, but they weren't binding it on everyone else. They were just trying to understand it. The believers that understood it was fine were trying to figure out what do we do with these people. 
Is it fine for us to fellowship someone that misunderstands the Scriptures in this text? Let's read on now. Uh, We're going to pick up now in verse 3 that we've laid that groundwork. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? See, in other words, he's saying here, you're going to play the role of God. Is it really your place to become a judge of this person's life? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. You think out of this audience here tonight, and especially out of the crowd that we had this morning, everybody views December the 25th the same? No. There are going to be different individuals and different families that view the day differently. Well, what are we supposed to do? Not fellowship someone that views it differently than we view it? Well, let's read on. Notice he says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, talking about does not eat the meat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? See, he's talking to the strong here that's judging the weak, saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. He misunderstands the Scriptures about esteeming a day above another day. He misunderstands the Scriptures about meat. And, and says that we can't eat it. I'm going to judge him in that. I'm going to condemn him in that. And I'm not going to have anything to do with that brother. And so he asks, he says, why do you judge your brother? Look at the rest. Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord's going to take care of this. Verse 11, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then... Each of us shall give account to himself before God. What do we do with this weak brother when there's a difference in understanding, a difference of opinion? But note, we need to emphasize this again to make sure we're all clear on this. What this weak brother was saying he would not have anything to do with was not a sin. Now, it's entirely different if there's a sin involved. There's no sin involved in a man not eating bacon for breakfast. And so this one individual that's weaker says, I'm not going to eat any pork because God wouldn't want me to. And the stronger says, what do I do with that individual? Point number one, the passage starts out by saying, receive the weaker brother. What does it mean by receive? It doesn't just mean tolerate him and sit on the opposite side of the room and then ignore him when you're walking by in the foyer. Receive means you bring them into your fellowship. The idea is we bring them into the family to help them grow. The weaker brother misunderstands something, and if he can fellowship with those that are stronger over time, his knowledge ought to become uh, greater. 
And in that, he ought to grow. And so the Lord is saying we receive those individuals. We don't stiff-arm them. We don't ignore them. We don't treat them as second-class citizens. We receive them. We don't spend our time judging them, as we saw there in verse 10, and we surely don't show contempt upon them. Now, you may want to hold your finger here, and let's go over to 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, we see a sister passage of this. And on your pew Bibles, that's 1,017. 1,017 on your pew Bibles. Now, the principle is so much the same. That's why these are called sister passages. But the details are different. The details in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, was that it is, we believe that it must have been a new convert from a pagan worship that a part of their pagan worship... Now, this is going to sound strange, so just kind of liken it to the Lord's Supper and trying to understand it. A part of their pagan worship was that they would offer a meat on a burnt offering. They would eat a part of that meat, and then when services were over, they would take that meat down to the marketplace, whatever was left, and they would sell it. And so now, this pagan has been converted to Christianity... And you imagine he's walking through a marketplace with a mature Christian, and the mature Christian says, I'm, I'm going to buy some meat here, and we can go back to the house and eat. And he buys some of that meat that's been offered in the pagan temple, and he takes that brother back to his house, and he sits down, and the mature Christian starts eating the meat. And the young Christian says, uh-uh. I will not have anything to do with that. And so Paul has to write, answering the question, is it okay or is it not okay to eat this meat that's been offered to pagans? Now what he ends up telling them in the 8th chapter is, absolutely, it's fine to eat the meat. But he also addresses strongly the same concerns out of Romans 14. Be more concerned with the brother. In other words, we don't want to offend the brother. We don't want to become a stumbling block to the brother. We want to help the brother grow. And so when we talk about what do we do with someone that's younger, what do we do in the faith, what do we do with someone that has some misunderstandings of the faith, well, what we do is try to help them grow. Notice again in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter verse 1, how this starts out very similar in principle. Now, the words don't sound exactly the same, but the principle is the same. Look in the 8th chapter, verse 1. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And notice this. Knowledge puffs up. That's pride. Knowledge without love makes someone arrogant. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You see what he's saying there at the beginning? He's saying to the Christians at Corinth that were more mature, he says, listen, if you're going to make all of your action in your dealing with individuals based solely upon knowledge, you're going to become an arrogant person that offends a lot of people. In other words, he could have said, Hey, listen, buddy, it is fine for us to eat this meat offered to idols. The origin of the meat has nothing to do with whether or not we can eat it. The Lord said so, so get to eating. And that young Christian, it would offend his conscience, and he would say, I'm leaving. I, I, I can't do this and feel good about it. So Paul writes and says, Listen, remember to have your knowledge and your love combined. To the brethren of Ephesus, he would say, speak the love in truth. 
Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. But brought together, the knowledge builds up in the area of righteousness. Now, to try to help lay this, look at verse 9 before we leave this passage. Here's really the heart of what he says in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verse 9. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idol? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Notice the emphasis there. Christ gave his life to save this person and you're going to allow his soul to stumble over whether or not he eats meat. In other words, Paul is saying, put all this in perspective. Don't ever lose sight of the souls as you're thinking about unity. We can't ever sacrifice the doctrine. But friends, they weren't violating doctrine. If they did eat the meat, it was okay. If they didn't eat the meat, it was okay. As long as they didn't make it binding on everyone. Verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. How serious is it to violate our conscience? It's a sin. Now note this. To make a decision whether or not we'll eat the meat, eating the meat was not a sin. But the Lord says in both passages, to eat the meat and violate your conscience, it is sin. Several years ago, it's probably been about ten years ago, I was studying with a brother who believed that because of the origin of the Christmas tree, that it was wrong for any, Christ, any Christian to have a tree in their home. Because it did probably begin with a pagan holiday, and then, of course, the origin of Christmas is that in an act of Catholicism, they wanted to join what was already celebrating their culture as a big day, which was a pagan day, and combine it with a religious day. And that's really how Christmas began. So even Christmas has pagan roots in its beginning. And so his summary of all of this was that if something begins in paganism, it has to remain wrong even to this day, no matter how it might be viewed. I tried to explain to him, there's nothing about the way my family would celebrate Christmas that would go back to paganism. We put up a tree and we decorate it for tradition. We share gifts with each other from tradition. It has nothing to do with paganism. I offered to him the suggestion of where does the name Sunday come from? Sunday comes from the worship of the sun god. We use the name Sunday on a regular basis, but we don't do so because... We're pagans. The origin was to describe something that was wrong, but yet we don't use that name today because of its origin. We use it as a term of identifying the first day of the week. That's what 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, is about. And I sat down with him, and we studied 1 Corinthians 8, verse by verse, and we studied Romans, the 14th chapter, verse by verse, trying to help him to understand that the origin of it doesn't make it wrong and that we can disagree upon it. 
and that it would be okay. The result was he wrote a letter to about 70 or 80 churches of Christ all around the area where I lived and told them that I'd left the faith and that I was no longer a faithful Christian and etc. But fortunately, I think almost everybody else that received that letter had a Christmas tree in their house too, so I think I was all right there. But the point is, we're always going to run into people that differ in their cultures and in their traditions. When we do mission work, we see that magnified over and over again. No matter where you do mission work, if it's anywhere outside of the southeastern part of America, you're going to see cultures that vary. And what we have to stop and ask ourselves is, hey, is this a violation of God's will or is this simply a different culture? If it's a violation of God's will, we know that the only thing we can do is stand with God. But if it's simply a difference in tradition and etc., there we need to seek to find peace and receive the weaker brother until greater knowledge can be gained. Let me give you one more illustration and, and just trying to kind of put legs on this lesson to help us understand how important it is. The last few years as we've been going down to Latin America, there uh, I remember seeing it, it the biggest stir probably two years ago. It's probably come up a little bit before that. But one of the ladies from there was going to go out and help us in door knocking because it's real helpful if there's a woman in the home and it's not two men going in where there's only a woman or if there's children. There's, she's very, it helps to have them to help with the children, especially when the studies there may last two and a half hours and et cetera. And so it just works out beautifully having the, the, the women to go along. And we were ready to leave one particular time. And, and of course, there's challenges because of the, the uh, language barriers. Then there's challenges because sometimes the translators aren't the best in the world. And then there's challenges because culture is different. And so we were about to walk out of the gate, and I could see that the 10 or 12 missionaries were really in a hot dispute about something, and they turned everybody around, they walked back, and, you know, I'm trying to figure out why we're in a disturbance all of a sudden. And finally, it took a while, but... I found out what it was. The woman going out was wearing pants. Uh, her pants were modest, and, but it was a great disturbance. Some of them were not going to go if she left and wore pants. Now, is it right or is it wrong? What would your call be? Don't begin with, I think. We're talking about the will of God. Is it right or is it wrong? Well, the first thing we have to do is establish, is it offensive in the culture? Well, we walked around the streets earlier during the week and many of their ladies wore pants and it's nothing disturbing about the culture. So it wasn't a cultural issue. We took care of that and found out that it wasn't that. Well, maybe it was something that was just an opinion of whoever was hosting that particular campaign. But what we really had to address was whether or not they thought that it was a sin. Because then we're back to the principle in Galatians. You can't take what God hasn't bound and bind it as law. What the woman had on was modest. There was nothing violating the will of God with what she had on unless... It was totally unaccepted in that culture as immodest simply because it was pants. 
You see, the point was this. There also is religion down there similar to what we're accustomed to here, a denomination where women would wear no makeup, would not cut their hair, and would wear only dresses. And what our fear was, was that some of our brethren had begun thinking that if a woman would start dressing more like that, that she would become more holy and more righteous. And that's what we had to sit down and have a long talk with what determines righteousness. Can we go beyond what God has said and say, well, since we've gone beyond it, we're more righteous? Notice, these individuals in Romans, the 14th chapter, had gone beyond what God said. God said, you can eat the meat. And they said, oh, no, no, no. To be more righteous, we're not going to eat the meat. And you know what they were called? They were called the weaker brother. So to go a step beyond God is not more righteous. To go a step beyond God is considered to be weaker. Notice, if you will, as we go back to Romans, the 14th chapter. Let's, let's scan down a few more verses and, and conclude the lesson, hopefully very quickly here. Uh, you've been very attentive. Let's, let's look. Uh, scan with me. Romans, the 14th chapter. Notice the plea in 13 through 15 not to destroy the individual. Notice he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's our action. What do we do? Let's make sure we never become the reason a brother stumbles. Look at verse 14, because their conscience is, is, is very important. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Notice this last part. But to him who considers any to be unclean. To him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not hear, look, listen to this, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ has died. So you see, in the first part of the reading tonight, he's saying receive the brother so that they have the opportunity to grow. Now in this section of the reading, he's saying don't destroy them. Don't violate or don't allow that individual to violate their conscience and just say, well, you've got to get over it. He says you help them grow through it, but don't become a stumbling block to them. Now, let's notice how what we're trying to do is edify this brother. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. How would God define the kingdom? Here he says, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. Find what is right in the sight of God. Find how you can create peace while living in the righteousness of God. And then you'll experience joy because you're living a right life in relationship with God and you're living at peace with your brothers and sisters. That creates joy. Now notice how that ties into verse 18. For he who serves Christ. Someone says, I want to be a servant of Christ. What can I do? He who serves Christ in these things. What's these things? Living a life of righteousness, a life of peace, and a life of joy is acceptable to God and approved by men. Something is wrong with an individual that believes that to find God God's favor, they need to fight and bicker with the brothers and sisters. Absolutely, completely a wrong understanding of what faithfulness is. When somebody's mentality is, I've got to find something to disagree with everybody because nobody's as faithful as I am. Paul writes in Romans, the 14th chapter, and he says, Listen, don't ever sacrifice righteousness but find how you can strive for peace and joy within the realm of righteousness.
And then we read 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Pursue. You see an antelope running? You see the leopard pursuing. The Lord says, I want you to pursue. What? Righteousness. But also the things that make for peace. If you don't know this verse, I want to read to you a verse out of Psalms 133. And this is the theme verse of all of this, and we close. We need to know this verse. We need to love this verse. We need to love the principle that the psalmist writes here. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What a beautiful thought. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity can't always be had because some people won't stay with Christ and when people won't stay with Christ, we can't sacrifice unity for that. In other words, we must stay with Christ no matter what the cost. But you know, there's a lot of other times where someone's weaker and they don't need somebody to destroy them. They need somebody to receive them and to build them up, and to help them grow closer. Friends, let's love unity and never sacrifice it, but let's love each other. And any time we can maintain the unity, let's find a way to help the others be built up and closer to God. Thank God for a Christian family. A family that loves each other, a family that loves their leadership, a family that loves God. Don't ever take that for granted. If you're not a part of that family and you want to be baptized into Christ, or if you have been baptized into Christ and straight away from the family, won't you come back so that we all can be unified tonight? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.